one of the foundational principles for reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ is that we have to pray for them. I mean, there is no way to see people come to know Christ apart from praying that God would work in their lives. If we want to see the lost and diamond and our lost loved ones come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, we must pray for their salvation. That is crucial. There's no way around it. Yet our responsibility doesn't end with just praying. We have to pray and we also, we have to go. We actually have to share the gospel with people who need Jesus. I mean, and that's a, again another foundational principle there. We know from like Romans 10 where anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the very next verse goes on to say, but how will they call on someone in whom they do not believe? And how will they believe in someone if they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone tells them? Right? In the end, praying for someone's salvation will not save them. Because God isn't going to send an angel down to suddenly share the gospel with them. Living a, a godly life in front of people is not going to save them. Because they aren't going to see how we live and, and recognize their need for Jesus. Salvation, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we, we must pray and then we must share. If we do not pray, there will be no power in our sharing. It will be fleshly, it will be earthly, it will not have the power necessary to bring about the conversion. But if we, if our praying doesn't lead to greater passion, greater compassion, and, and, and legitimate actions to reach the lost, then our praying is flawed in some ways. If Gaiman is to be one for Christ, then we must pray and we must act. We have to do both. So we're praying for open doors in order to help us to do this. What we're doing this one, this time, because it is moving into the holiday season, and, and we will all encounter people from here to the end of the year that we may not encounter any other time of the year, whether it's family members that we see in the holidays that we don't normally see, or just people in the community. I mean, Guyman is, for mo in, in most cases, Guyman is the home community. So the kids who have gone off, they come home. And so that's not only like in our family, but that will be in people we know. People that have been our friends in years past, maybe went to school with or worked with, they are going to come back to town. And there may be an opportunity where we see them and we have an opportunity to share the gospel. So praying for open doors is something we want to do through this season so that when we see that opportunity, we'll take it. And the reason we're using doors and using an acronym for doors, is because in Scripture, a door is often referred to as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Right. So in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, A great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are, very, and there are many adversaries. Right. So in Corinth, there was an, he was telling them that where he was then, there was a, a lot of opportunities to share the gospel, and that was effective. They were being effective, but there were adversaries that opposed it. He, when he writes to Second Corinthians, writes them again. He says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. Right. So in this, we kind of get an idea of what a door is. First, door is an opportunity to share the gospel. But that opportunity is also one that is going to be effective. Right. It'll be an opportunity where our sharing the gospel will, the, the words that we sink will sink in. It may not necessarily bring about salvation immediately, but it will sink into their hearts. It will be a time when that opportunity is fruitful. Also, it is of the Lord. Right? That's also a key aspect of it. The doors are not things that we can open. It's not anything that we can do to force it. It is God doing something to make it possible for us to share the gospel. Right? And because this is what a door is, Paul instructs us, in fact, to pray for this. Withal praying for us also that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Right, so an open door, it's an opportunity to share the gospel with someone or to say, have a spiritual conversation with someone 
who either has not embraced Jesus Christ as Lord or someone who maybe has made profession of faith but is straying in their relationship with Christ. Praying for open doors is praying for God to create a legitimate opportunity for us to share the gospel. Right? So, praying for an open door, it, it is an unforced opportunity. Right? That's a key part. Right? It is, if you've been around people who, I've been around people who force the opportunity to share the gospel. Right? And there's not, not every conversation is going to naturally lead to an opportunity to share the gospel. So what we're praying for is not that we can get someone trapped in our car driving down 412 where they have no choice but to listen to us. What we're praying for is that there would be an opportunity and it would just be seeming like it was a natural part of our conversation to bring Jesus into it at that moment. Right? That the flow of the conversation, the way things were going, that it seemed like just naturally it led to spiritual things, giving us the opportunity to talk to them about Jesus and their need to turn to Him and receive Him as Savior and Lord. Right? And an open door also means we're praying for them to be receptive. Right? That they would hear. Because again... We could get someone on 412 and go driving down the highway and they couldn't jump out of the car. They would have to listen, but they're probably not going to be receptive. What we're praying for is that this would be an opportunity that when we talk, they would listen, they would understand, and it would sink into their hearts and begin to churn and bring about fruit in their life. But we also pray we would see the door and we would walk through it. Because right? that's a key aspect of it. It's one thing for God to open a door, but we actually have to walk through it. An interesting point here, the door was opened in Troas. We, we didn't put it here, but in verse 13, Paul said he had he was no rest in his spirit, and so he left. So Paul, while Paul is awesome, Paul did not fully walk through that door. The opportunities were there, but because he was discouraged, because of he was frustrated, he missed that opportunity. So we're also praying, yes, God, make the door, make it possible, let us see it, and then make help us to walk through and take advantage of it. So this plan to pray for open doors, and again, doors being an acronym, it helps us to saturate our life with prayer so the power of the gospel would be evident in our lives as we share. So the first one, D, discipline. To share the gospel. It should be somewhat natural. For us to talk to people. About Jesus. But it should be a, a natural part. Of our lives as disciples of Jesus. To talk about Jesus. I mean if you think about it. Think about. Well just think about what Jesus did. Who he was and what he did. Jesus is God who came to earth. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead on the third day. He calls us to come to him. For salvation. Right? The person and the work of Jesus should inspire us to tell others about Him. So it should be natural. But not only just the, the personal work of Jesus, but also our relationship with Him. I mean, how natural is it for you to tell people about your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, uh, something like that? It is, that is a natural part of our conversation. So Jesus should be just as natural. If we have a, a truly a living relationship with Jesus, where we talk to Him on the daily, He talks to us on the daily, and we are walking with Him, then Jesus just should come out of our mouths at various times. It should be natural. And while that's the case, it still takes discipline on our part to be able to talk to people about Jesus. It, it takes Discipline to look for the opportunities God provides. One of the easiest things in the world to do is really just focus on self. It is to just be so concerned with, with what we've got going on because, and that's not even, I'm not taking like a negative shot. We have a lot of stuff going on. I mean, lives are busy. There's all kinds of things and all kinds of burdens and all kinds of issues. That we all have. And so it is really easy for us to not look for those opportunities because of all that's already going on in our hearts, in our spirits, and in our lives. I, just recently, there's a, a person I've been praying for, an opportunity to talk to them. And, and I was 
I was going to Walmart and I was angry and I was frustrated at some issues that were going on. And and I was thinking about what I had to do and I walked by them and, and I didn't see them. And they, they mentioned my name and, and called out to me and, and initiated a conversation. And I missed that opportunity simply because of what was going on in here. It was an opportunity for me to, to stop what I was doing, to show them they were important, to invite them to church, to ask them about their relationship with Jesus. And I did not take that opportunity. I didn't have the discipline to take it as I should. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to, to take the opportunities. Right? These two go together. I didn't even really see that as an opportunity until it was passed. And so I surely didn't see it. I surely didn't take it. Right? It takes a discipline on our part to I see that and to take it. Because how easy is it if there's a, that opportunity to talk about spiritual things, to invite the church, to, to do something, and to go, I just, this may get deeper than I want to get into right now. And to let that opportunity pass. It takes discipline. It takes discipline to turn our conversation to spiritual things. It's not hard to talk about the weather or a movie or a book or a restaurant or something along those lines, but to turn it to spiritual things, to Jesus, to the Bible, to any prayer, any of those things, it takes a lot of discipline on our part. And so we have to, as we're talking, as we're stopping, as we're there, we're seeing this opportunity now, we have to jump to Jesus somehow, right? Because you can't just go from... Hey, how's the weather? Well, that wind's sure getting cold. Hey, are you saved or are you going to hell when you die? I mean, you can't just, that's too abrupt to jump. Right? So you have to find a way to, to shift it towards spiritual things. That takes a discipline on our part. And it takes discipline to share the gospel. Once we've turned to spiritual things, to begin to, to share the gospel. And then, if we're, this is someone we're really burdened about, it's difficult to let Scripture and the Holy Spirit bring conviction. Right? Because I, I want to bring, I mean, I want to see conviction right now. I want to see guilt weigh on their faces, register. I, I want to see them breaking and sobbing and confessing and calling out to Christ right then. But I can't do all of that. I can, I can heap condemnation on them, but that's not conviction. That's not what brings them to Jesus. I can do all kinds of things to, to maybe make them feel bad, to point out their sins and their flaws and, and all of this stuff, but it really doesn't bring them to Jesus usually. It takes an extreme amount of discipline, if, if you're an aggressive personality especially, to let Scripture and the Holy Spirit do the work that you can't see, that you can't control, and that you can't make happen now. It takes discipline. On our part. Scripture says we are ambassadors for Christ. An American ambassador's job is to press the American agenda wherever they go. If they are the ambassador to the UN, their job at the UN is to press American interests. If they are the American ambassador to England, their job is while they're in England to press the American agenda and American interest in England. We are Christ's ambassadors on earth. Our job, it is to press God's agenda here on earth where we are. And God's agenda is to seek and to save those who are lost. So we must discipline ourselves to look for and take opportunities to tell people about Jesus. So let's take time and pray and pray for God to give us discipline to share the gospel faithfully, to do what we need to do. Heavenly Father, we come tonight, and Lord, we need you. 
Father, we, we have come out on a cold, dark night because we desire to do Your will. No, none of us in here are here to check a box. We're not here to just do what we've always done. We love You. and We want to live for You. And we want to do Your will. We want to be faithful ambassadors. We want to reach people for Jesus. Help us, Father, to be disciplined to do this. Help us to look for the opportunities that you provide. Give us eyes that would see those. And when we see them, give us the discipline to to walk through those doors and begin to, to turn the conversation to spiritual things. Give us the discipline to actually share the gospel. Lord, it is wonderful for us to invite people to church and offer to pray for them. And we certainly need discipline and courage to do those things as well. But at some point, Lord, we all have to actually talk to people about Jesus. Give us the discipline to do that. And the discipline to to stop and to let your word and your spirit do their work in people's lives. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So after discipline, we need opportunities to share the gospel. Scripture teaches in 1 Timothy 2.4, God wants all people to be saved. Therefore, God will sovereignly work to provide opportunities for, for His disciples to share the gospel with other people. Now, I, I have actually started referring to these, and I think, I think this is what Darren called them in, in Bulgaria, our team leader in Bulgaria, he referred to them as divine appointments. And that was, what, what he talked about with a divine appointment is when you're, you're just going through life naturally. You're not out looking to share the gospel. You're not with your Bible out knocking doors. You're going through life and an opportunity arises. That's a, a, divine, a divine appointment. That person is there in your life at that moment for this Opportunity Now, divine appointments aren't always going to be to actually share the gospel. I've actually, in fact, I've started keeping a journal of the divine appointments I have uh, throughout my different days and weeks. And I keep track of what day it happened and where, we, where I saw them. And just a general topic of the conversation, what I was able to do spiritually in, in that conversation. And these divine appointments... I think these are opportunities that God gives us to try to influence people for Jesus, to to talk about spiritual things. Because everybody in the world has more than enough physical conversation. I mean, they talk about the weather and politics and sports and food and, and, and whatever else all the time. So these divine appointments that God gives us that we can talk about spiritual things, particularly Jesus, if the opportunity is there. We, we see these sort of divine appointments all throughout the book of Acts. Uh, and I want to look at a few of them. It, they're all on your page there. But start at Acts 3, verse 1. That's page 832 if you have a pew Bible. And we're not going to look at all of these. We are going to look at a couple because they're, they're neat. Um, Acts 3, verse 1. Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked alms. Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said... Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something. And Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and his ankle bones strengthened. His ankle received strength. And he, leaping, stood and walked and entered with him in the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him. And they knew it was the one who sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened unto him. And the story goes on. Peter sees the crowd, and he uses that opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And, and, and we see two, really, two divine appointments in this. One, Peter and John are 
They're not going out to heal. They're not on a healing crusade. They're just going to go pray at the temple because it's that time of the day. They see this guy and there's an opportunity to do good in his life in the name of Jesus. And they do it. Now, we're probably not going to be able to go out and heal people in the name of Jesus, but that doesn't mean we can't go out and do good for people in the name of Jesus. That too would be a divine appointment. So that divine appointment brings about a change in this man's life and that provides another divine appointment for them to share the gospel with a whole crowd. right? And so that's just a picture of them taking a divine appointment. Uh, we won't look at the next one, Acts 8. That's the story of Stephen being told, or Philip, ah, my mind's going blank today, it's a bad day. Um, Philip, Philip going up to Ethiopian eunuch. He's just walking along, the Holy Spirit says, go talk to that guy, talks to him, leads him to salvation. But look at Acts 16. This is kind of an important one. Acts 16, verse 11. This is one I should have read the other day before I had my bad day and missed my divine appointment. Nope, not this one. Sorry. It's a later one. It's the next one. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came straight, of course, from Samothracia and the next day to Neapolis. And from thence to Philippi, which is a chief city, part of Macedonia, in a colony where we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the, of the city by a riverside where prayer was typically made. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened. And she attended the things which were spoken of by Paul. So they just went, they were, again, they, they weren't going out to share the gospel. They were going down to the river to pray. And as they do, there's a group of people who are also gathered there to go down the river to pray. And they share the gospel and God opens someone's heart. Now, look at the next one, verses 25 to 34. Of course, you're familiar with the story at Philippi. They... As they go on, there's a, a demon-possessed girl that continually cries out, and Paul casts the demon out of her. When Paul casts the demon out of her, the, the people lose their ability to make money off of her, and they have them beaten and thrown in prison. So verse 25, it says, At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto them, unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, and the foundations of the temple were shaken. Immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's bands were loosed. Keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword, would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Called for a light, he sprang in, came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, to say that Paul and Silas were having a bad day would be an understatement. They had been beaten had their clothes ripped off of them, and they'd been beaten with many stripes and tossed into prison. And then a divine appointment was given to them, and they took it. Right? And just a lesson there is divine appointments aren't always going to come on our best days. Sometimes they are going to come when we're going to Walmart angry and frustrated. And we need to take them then as well. Right? They're, they're, we don't know when they will come it, there's no guarantee that it's going to be on the good days, on the best days. Divine appointments can come anytime. And, and we need to be the kind of people who would take them no matter what. We won't look at Acts 17. That's Paul in Athens. He was disturbed by the idolatry. And he went out just in the marketplace. He was actually sharing the gospel there. And as the opportunities to share the gospel there... Um, somebody said, hey, we like what you're saying. It's interesting Won't you come and talk to a group of us. And there was a divine opportunity for him to speak to the people on Mars Hill. And really what we've got to understand is the God who made those divine appointments then is the same God who makes divine appointments now. I, and I'm convinced that these sort of divine appointments, more than anything else, this is the way the gospel is meant to be shared. This is what we're meant to do. You grew up in Free Will Baptist churches like I did. And so you probably heard a lot of messages on the Great Commission that focused on go, right? Go knock doors. Go hand out tracts. Go do this. And the go was the main part of it. 
And, and yet when you look at Scripture, you don't really see that. I mean, how many times in what we looked at were they actively going to share the gospel? They weren't. They were just going through life and opportunities to share the gospel came up. But I believe that's what we see in Scripture and even the Great Commission. The main command in the Great Commission is to make disciples. Go isn't the main thrust. And, and go could actually be translated as you're going. So as you're going through life, look for opportunities to make disciples. Now, the primary way that we're going to share the gospel and see people saved in Gaiman, it's not going to be by gathering at the church on Thursday evenings or Saturday mornings and going out and knocking doors. The primary way is for us to, to be aware of the fact that we serve a God who wants to save all people. And we serve a God who can sovereignly orchestrate events and bring people into our lives at a given time to give us an opportunity to talk to them about Jesus. And then when we know that, to take advantage of those opportunities. I mean, just think about what we looked at. Their divine appointments happened as they were headed to the temple. Come into church and you stop to get gas, get a coke. Maybe an opportunity would arise. So they were in the marketplace. We're walking through Walmart buying groceries. An opportunity may arise. They were going down to the river. Yeah, there's not much, much like that in Gaiman, but still going about your daily day life and an opportunity arises. And I want to show you why these divine appointments are so important. Quickly, look at John 4, uh, page 811. We're just going to look at a very little bit of it. We'll start in verse 1. Just to get the context. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. And he said, He must needs go through Samaria. Then he comes to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now jo Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him. He would have given thee living water. Now, Again, this is a, a divine appointment for Jesus. He, he went through Samaria and he stopped at a well and, and he was tired, being wearied. Again, these aren't necessarily going to happen on our best days and our best times. And a woman comes up to him. Jesus takes advantage of this divine opportunity. He shares the gospel with her. He talks about it all throughout. Now, look down at verse 28, chapter 4. It says, the woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith unto the man, Come and see a man which told me all the things that ever I did. Is this not the Christ? And they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So she talks to him. She becomes convinced. She runs back into town and begins to raise a ruckus to get people to come out and meet Jesus because she's convinced he probably is the Christ. The disciples talked to him in this time. Now look at verse 34. I'm sorry. Verse 35. Say, say not ye, there are four months, then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, they are already white unto harvest. Now, here's what I think is going on. Right? Common saying, four months to harvest. But we say, look up, look up. And what would, what would they see when they looked up? They would say, the village coming out. And he's saying, the fields are wide unto harvest. Look at all of these people. And he and he talks about the hard work and hallelujah work. Um, and he that receiveth wages gathereth fruit unto eternal life. Both he, he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is the saying, true one soweth and other reapeth. I sent you to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labor and you enter into their labor. So if we do this, there are going to be times where we do the hard work of sharing the gospel, planting seeds. But we're not going to reap the harvest. We're not going to lead them to Jesus. But if we are faithful to plow the ground, to lay the seeds, and sometimes we will get to do the good work of leading people to Christ. 
And then in verse 39 it says, Many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him. For the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. Many more believed because of his own word. Said to the woman, Now we believe not because of thy saying. For we heard him ourselves and know that this indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So look at all of those who were saved. And what would have happened if Jesus hadn't taken advantage of that divine appointment? If he'd been too tired to talk to that lady. And really the thing is, we don't know how far reaching our divine appointment may go. We reach someone who may reach 30 people. Those 30 people would have been unreached had we not reached that one person. We, we don't know. God would not arrange these divine appointments if they were not significant and they were not important. God does nothing that doesn't, that, that is insignificant. Everything God does matters. So He arranges them for a reason. So praying for opportunities, it means praying for God to give us divine appointments with people we don't know. It means praying for God to give us divine appointments with people we do know. It means praying for God to create circumstances that make sharing the gospel seem natural. It means praying for God to give us opportunities. uh, Or for God to prepare the heart of the unbeliever to receive the gospel. For God to maybe give us opportunities to share the gospel, to share our opportunity, uh, good grief, to share our testimony. Right? We, we should all be able to give a, some kind of a testimony about what Jesus has done in our lives. Right? There's three, the basic one is, what were we before we came to Jesus, how we came to Jesus, and what God has been doing in our lives since we came to Jesus. And we pray for God to give us opportunities to share His love. In practical ways. We must pray for opportunities to share the gospel. So let's take a few minutes and we'll pray for opportunities to share the gospel. Father, we love you. Open our minds to the reality of, of just how, how sovereign you are. That, Lord, that there really aren't just a whole lot of things in life that we would call a coincidence. Lord, if we bump into someone that maybe we've been praying for, that, that's not just a coincidence. That's you setting up a divine appointment. Help us, Father, to understand that You are always at work around us in these ways. Guide us, Lord, that we would see these opportunities that You give us. As these opportunities arise and as we see them, let us take them as divine appointments and begin to do what we can do in that time. Give us all opportunities this week That before Sunday comes, we would all have had multiple opportunities to talk to people. Have spiritual conversations with people that aren't naturally a part of our church. That aren't naturally people we would have spiritual conversations with. Father, give us divine appointments this week and give us the courage to take them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Then we have to pray about obstacles to sharing the gospel. Every disciple who doesn't share the gospel on a regular basis, has at least one reason why they don't. An obstacle is something that hinders us, prevents us from doing this. Now, there's any number of issues that could be there. Um, And what we do is we've got to be honest about what our issues are. What is my obstacle or obstacles keeping me from sharing the gospel? And once I identify it, I need to find out what the Bible says about it. And then I begin to pray Pray what Scripture says. Pray God's promises 
to overcome and to break down this obstacle. Right, so three common ones is fear is a major one. Fear is probably the most common obstacle that nearly every disciple who doesn't share the gospel regularly faces. And, and, and scripture speaks to this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So that fear we feel that, that holds us back and keeps us from stepping out, having that sort of a conversation with someone, something we can know from this is that's not God. I mean, that there is never fear from God keeping us from doing the will of God as revealed in the Word of God. So we can pray about that. God, help me to, in that moment when I'm afraid to say, I know this isn't you. I know that's not you. What you have given me is power. You've given me love. And you have given me a sound mind. And then we take the opportunity. Unaware. Not all obstacles are, are what we might call a negative obstacle like fear. Some of them are just being unaware. Or maybe just a natural part of, of our personality. I mentioned the, the opportunity I missed the other night. But I, I have missed many opportunities because I'm unaware. I, when I go somewhere, when I do something, I become typically very tunnel vision focused. And so if I'm going grocery shopping and I've got a list, I don't look up and look around to typically look to see if people are there for conversation. I look down, I look and see what aisle I'm on, I look to see where my stuff is, and I move on. Uh, I have missed a lot of opportunities, not because I didn't care or I just skipped them. I was just unaware. Uh, and even for me, being unaware has been, I stopped and had a conversation, but in my mind, all I could think of was, I've still got 12 things on my item, I need this conversation to end, so that I can get through at Walmart and go home. right? And so, that sort of being unaware is, is an obstacle for me. And so it may be for you, but Scripture speaks to this, and we looked at this verse, Say not either four months, and then come up the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, they are white unto harvest. Man, the reality is, the field of Gaiman is, is white unto harvest. People all around us need Jesus. What we've got to do is lift up our eyes to see. So part of the way I pray to overcome this is, is I pray to, to see as Jesus saw. Because Jesus always saw the opportunities. Always saw them and he always took them. One of the things I've, I've started doing, again, I've told you I've kept that journal, is as I'm walking into Walmart, of course not that night that I was angry, but I pray, help me to see the opportunities that are here. I use the time from my, my car to the front door to pray for eyes to see, pray for there to be a divine appointment and for me to take it. Um, and it's amazing how much I've prayed it as I walked in, how many times I've seen things I wouldn't have seen previously. And then doubts would be another one. Uh, it could be a doubt in the power of the gospel to change lives. It could be a doubt in our ability to effectively communicate the gospel. But scripture speaks to this as well. Isaiah says, "My word, So shall my word which goeth forth from my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, shall accomplish that for which I please. It shall prosper in the thing that I sent it. So the power is in God's word. God is the one who makes it effective. Right? And that's, there's something freeing about that. Right? Because it is, like when I pray to preach, I pray for my sermons. Every sermon I preach, I have prayed for it before I stand up here to preach. But I never pray to be eloquent in my speaking. I pray instead for the Holy Spirit to empower me, for there to be, for the Word to take root in people's lives. Because my eloquence is, if I can talk someone into it, someone more eloquent can talk them out of it later. Right? And so if you just stand up and say, here's what the Bible says, and leave it with them like that, I, I would I would whole lot rather trust in the power of God's Word than the power of my ability to either argue someone down or be eloquent enough. So we, 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 try, we doubt, we overcome, hey, God's Word has the power, God's Spirit is at work, and we trust in those things. Whatever our obstacle, um, and chances are we all know what our obstacle is, Scripture speaks to it. So our job is we, we find out what is my obstacle, what prevents me. We write it down and we do a study of Scripture. We find out what does Scripture say. 
we find a verse that would help us overcome it, and we make that verse a part of our prayers. Time's short, so we're not going to stop and pray here. We'll move on to the requirements to share the gospel. There are certain qualities we need so that we can be faithful and active in sharing the gospel. And there are two primary ones. One is uh, just a, a recognition of the absolute lostness of all people apart from Jesus. That, that's huge. Our, our culture basically teaches that all people are basically good and unless they do something really bad, they're going to heaven. The Bible teaches exactly the opposite. Scripture teaches all people are basically bad and they are defaulting to hell unless Jesus does something in their lives. It's not even something they do. It's not a matter of them turning over a new leaf or being a better person. They have to come to Jesus. And this is a rule without exception. Jesus said, He that believes on Him is not condemned, but he that believes not is condemned already. So Jesus gives us that there are two states. Those who are condemned and those who are not condemned. And what makes the difference is whether or not they believe on Him. And those who are condemned are condemned because they haven't believed on Him. Everything rises and falls on Jesus. John, when he writes uh, about Jesus saying this, he'll go on to say, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Again, it's two categories, and it's only those two. Uh, we studied in Ephesians, and we know that, that everybody is dead, apart from Christ, dead in trespasses and sins. They are walking according to the course of this world. And, and, they, and that all of us had our way at, this time, at one point living like this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So the idea of the gospel being hid is they don't understand it, they don't see a need for it, that they just can't imagine why they would need Jesus. Those people are lost. In, in some translations, it actually says perish. They are perishing there. Right? So any person, no matter how moral they are, no matter how religious they are, no matter how kind they are, if they don't see a need for Jesus, they are lost. If they think people are basically good and going to heaven by their good deeds, they are lost. Satan is blinding their minds. Right? And, and we, if we are going to share the gospel... With people, we must be convinced of the absolute lostness of all humanity apart from Christ. And we have to believe it's that way without exception. Because the minute I start making exceptions for one person, I will start making exceptions for other people. And all I'm doing is soothing my conscience while these people skate to hell. It does not change who they are, what their destiny is. All it does is make me feel good about letting them go to hell without trying to stop them. R.A. Torrey, friend of D.L. Moody, said, These things are not pleasant to think about, but they are true. And we ought to think about them until our souls are on fire to save people from the awful condition of utter ruin in which they now are. And from the, from the destiny of eternal shame and despair to which they are hurrying. So we must believe people are lost apart from Jesus. And we must genuinely love people. Those whom I love, I cannot bear the thought of dying and going to hell. Every person who has been greatly used of God to win souls for Christ, tremendously loved others. We must love people if we're to reach people. I read a book years ago, and there was a lady who was a recent convert to Christ, and somebody asked her why she went to the church that she went to. She said, because the lady who invited me here seemed to really care about me. And that concern caused her to come. And her coming caused her to hear the gospel. And through that, 
she was saved. Jesus said, we are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Now the practical application of loving our neighbors as we love ourselves is what we call the golden rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men do unto you, do ye even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Think about it this way. Knowing what you know now, if you were lost and heading to hell, would you want someone to love you enough to have a socially awkward conversation with you about Jesus? Would you want someone to love you enough to take advantage of an opportunity and talk to you about Jesus? And if you would say yes to that, then what does love compel you to do for others? Listen to how Charles Spurgeon talked about how love compels us to share the gospel. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned. And unprayed for. We must meet the requirements. We must believe in the lostness of man apart from Christ. We must love others. And we'll pray at the end. Then the last one, S, we need the Spirit's power to share the gospel. All of our efforts in sharing the gospel will be fruitless unless the Spirit of God enables us and moves in their heart. That that is Absolutely necessary. The Holy Spirit must enable us to speak and say and use the words. And then the Holy Spirit must convict and regenerate them to do it. So there are the two ideas. We need the Holy Spirit to empower our speaking. Right? It's not we don't pray to be eloquent. We pray for the Holy Spirit to make our words effective. Paul says our, my speech and preaching was not with the enticing words of man's wisdom. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And here's the reason. People's faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Eloquence can cause people to trust in the wisdom of man. The eloquence of man. But all it takes is someone with more wisdom, more eloquence to come along and talk them out of that. But if their faith is in the power of God, well, my words, I can't talk someone out of believing in God's power. We need the Holy Spirit to empower our speech so their faith would be in the proper object, which is always God. And then we want the Holy Spirit to convict the person. He would bring deep and abiding conviction. That's just part of of His job. He would reprove the world or convict of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. Only the Holy Spirit can convict a sinner of their sin, of their guilt, and of their utter lack of righteousness. And again, this goes back to the idea of discipline. We can't do that. We can heap condemnation upon them and judgment upon them. But that doesn't do it. We must let the Holy Spirit do His work. And and now, I'm all for, because we talked about conviction and repentance on Sunday. I am all for praying for the Holy Spirit to make people miserable. I, I think conviction should make you miserable if you're not responding to Jesus in faith. So when I pray for people I'm really burdened about, I pray for them to have dreams of hell. I pray for them to have nightmares. I pray for the the word that they may already know to just make them miserable, that they would not be able to be happy in their sin. I do not pray for God to bless them. I do not pray for their life to be easy. I pray for God to convict, for the Holy Spirit to work and to press on them until they are disgustingly miserable and feel they must can turn to Jesus or die. I mean, that's what I pray for. Uh, And and that's all I will pray for. Because if they do not see, they do not come to that place where they are convicted of their sin, their lack of righteousness, and that they are going to be judged by God, they will not turn to Jesus. 
And it takes the Holy Spirit to do it. Because no one can come unless the Father draws him. And that's it. It, it. Salvation is a supernatural act. We have our part to play. We pray. We share the gospel. But then God has to draw. The Holy Spirit has to save. I mean, it is nothing we can work up or nothing we can do. But we need the Holy Spirit. So we, we should pray at least once a week this acronym through our lives. I don't think it's necessarily something we have to pray every day. But at least once a week, God, help me to be disciplined in this, this, and this. Give me opportunities here, here, here. Here are the obstacles that hold me back. Help me to be just broken over the lostness of the people I know. Help me to love people as I should. The Holy Spirit, guide me in my words. Work in their hearts. Bring redemption into their lives. So let's take a couple of minutes to pray. And we'll be dismissed after I close this in prayer. tonight we do come this last time of prayer we ask you to open doors for us this week to talk to people about Jesus Father let your word press in on us about the lostness of people apart from Jesus let your Holy Spirit just fill us with a deep and abiding love for others let that move us to talk to people Holy Spirit, guide us when we start to talk that You would guide our words and You would bring Scripture to our minds that need to be used and and You would help us to to either quote it or find it in our Bibles or to, to share what needs to be shared. That and nothing more. And as we share what You're laying on us and leading us to say, convict them, press upon them. We need people who are living in sin and rebellion against Jesus, we need you to make them miserable in their sin. Don't let them be at peace. Don't let them have good night's rest. Convict them. Burden them. Break them over their sin so they would turn to Jesus and be saved. Guide us and turn us into people that would be able to win souls for Christ every month. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.